The following program is recommended for ages 18 and over due to adult content. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Behind the Scenes, a look at some of the sometimes steamy inside of Hollywood with your host, Hollywood executive and former Victoria's Secret model, Summer Helene. Our program features the gossip, the dish, and the stories of what's really going on behind your favorite movies, television shows, and celebrities from the people who are involved in the industry. Now, here is your host, Summer Helene. Do you have a desire to be famous? Do you want hordes of people screaming your name? Then ask your therapist if Hollywood's right for you. Hollywood, where you can work your entire first year as an unpaid intern, get followed by a mandatory minimum 18-hour workday with guaranteed unpaid overtime, where sexual assault is so common you get to sign a waiver promising not to sue even before you start your new job. Warning, side effects may include insomnia, heavy drug use, thousands of dollars in therapy, bulimia, anorexia nervosa. What are you doing? I'm sorry. I'm like sitting here doing this and my co-host is like next to me. Like, I'm what, breathing what you down do? your neck. I'm making sure you why? Do why? Why are you breathing down my neck? Because it's really hot. I'm just trying to make sure you do it right. I'm really concerned about you and all this stuff. Are you on drugs? No. Have you been punched in the head a lot recently? Good day, good day, guys. <laughs> good day, guys. Welcome to Behind the Scenes. I'm your host, Summer Helene. We are on with my co-host, the baddest bear in the cage, Bear Fjorda, who I'm now worried about having some kind of brain damage. I did get kicked pretty good Wednesday night, so, we, you know, there may be a small issue right now. A small issue? Why did you get kicked good Wednesday? Uh, I didn't have my hands up. And now I see things backwards. Everyone sees things backwards. That was part of the joke. Oh. You know how you see like your reflection of your, of your eyes, upside mm-hmm. down imagery, a lot of stuff I don't know how to explain properly. How much have you been kicked in the head? <laughs> Too much, apparently. Guys, we have a whole bunch going on in Hollywood this week. Uh, one of the biggest things is uh, Zayn Malik and Gigi Hadid. Right. That is kind of weird. Um, I'll say. It sounds like a pretty serious domestic situation there. No, I agree completely. In fact, that's actually going on for a little more than this week. It's not just this week. It started, right? No, it's been going on for a couple of weeks. Yeah, no kidding. I think I, I'm really concerned that there's a domestic situation going on there. If there, Okay, is, are we talking domestic like you think it's going to be similar to Johnny Depp's situation with uh, – No, no, no. What, I think he's guilty and I think Amber Heard's an asshole. Amber Heard. Thank you for reminding <clears> me. Thank you for reminding me that. By the way, guys, uh, what, what, what is it for cussing on the radio show summer? We give a – Small donation to... We give money to the Boys and Girls Club of America, the Humane Society of America, and free MMA. We swear because we care. Yeah, that's usually your line. <laughs> My bad. We've got a lot going on, guys. I'm going to ask you, what do you think of the Gigi Hadid situation? Do you think he was out of line? Do you think that's not a problem? Personally, I don't know. It just The whole thing sounds really, really odd to me and really off. But there does seem to be a restraining order in the works and a whole bunch going on there. So, I don't know. No, I, I certainly hope – I don't know. I, I certainly hope that everything will turn out all right. I definitely am concerned about the situation in itself. I think that's a lot to be concerned with, especially in Hollywood. There seems to be the assumption that money bars you from problems. So, successful mm. actors, successful – entertainers uh, get dismissed when they have problems. Well, look at how often people can pay get paid off in the industry. 
look at how I not just uh, from non-disclosure agreements. If you make a mistake, you obviously have to pay, or you try and out somebody, you have to pay them that money. Mm-hmm. But the settlements, a lot of this stuff gets settled outside of court because not only is it easier, they try and make it worth your while. Hey, I touched up on this intern or whatever, and I'll pay her off to never talk about it again. I'll keep my career and make more money. It's a minor setback for that person. That that is very very true. Uh, speaking of minor setbacks, Kanye West seems to be under the impression that he and Kim Kardashian are still going, but it looks like Kim Kardashian is dating Pete Davidson. You're kidding. No, I, I actually love Kim Kardashian Pete, and Pete Davidson, so I'm like all for this, 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 by the way. I'm like all about this. Just want to point out, Pete Davidson's now had two of the Kardashian families. No, he hasn't. Are you sure? No, I, I promise. Sworn. No, he he used to date, uh, what's her face? Um, little brunette singer just got married. Where's a ponytail? Oh, Ariana Grande? Yeah, he was Ariana Grande's ex. She's the one that told the world he was really, really well endowed. Yeah. And he did a whole comedy bit where he's like, really, it's the best breakup thing she could have ever done for herself because she's ruined it. No matter what I do now, every woman is always going to be disappointed. Oh, that's a good point, isn't it? You can never live up to the hype now. Yep. Oh, no. But yeah, he's dating, Pete Davidson is dating um, Kim Kardashian. Kim Kardashian, of all people. It's not really a surprise. So you've got uh, Machine Gun Kelly, who's really close with Pete Davidson, is dating Megan Fox. Megan Fox is really good friends with Kourtney Kardashian. Oh, okay. so Everyone's it's kind, kind of, of connected yeah, with they're, each they're, other. they're kind of connected. It's not a surprise, but Kim Kardashian is a really cool person, and I really do hope he's good to her because she really deserves to be happy. No kidding, that guy's. I, I don't. He doesn't strike me as someone to kind of lose his mind either. Um. Uh, okay, you're about to tell me some horrible stuff, aren't no, you? No, I have. I haven't heard anything terrible about him. I have heard he is a little unstable just because he's bipolar. He's a slightly unstable human. Does he take his medications? I hope so. All right, that at least makes one out of two in her last two relationships. I don't know. She's had a pretty rough go with relationships. So, And for such a nice person, right. I know not everyone is a Kardashian fan, but Kim Kardashian is genuinely a good good person. Well, hey, that's always good to hear, especially since, you know, I always thought, for one, here's some thoughts I used to believe. Common belief was, number one, they didn't put in any work. and number She two, works her ass off. Right. And number two, they're all stuck-up bitches. Why would you think that? Because that's what they get. Okay, I'll tell you right now. If you're not in the Hollywood world and you just watch the Kardashians, you either think that they don't do any work and are famous for no reason or you love them regardless of what they're doing. If you're not in Hollywood and you're just watching the shows, so those are the two impressions so you get. So when you got into Hollywood and found out how hard they worked as right, influences? Right, it, it made a difference. Now, I don't love their shows. In fact, I can care less about the drama they put on there. But as people and as wor- as hard workers and individuals and actually philanthropists, yeah. uh, lots of respect for them there. Well, you're you're an influencer yourself now. Right. and you know, Is that easy? No, but <laughs> I'm also not running multi-million dollar companies. In fact, in one of the cases, billion dollar companies. So I would have a, now, only a minor inkling of what they're really going through. I've actually heard terrible things about the younger sisters that I've never oh. heard about the older sisters because mm. they got so rich and so famous so young. I guess that kind of Where the make, other ones didn't. Kind of makes sense. New, uh, I wouldn't call it new money, but maybe young money instead. They, yeah, they got really wealthy really young. Got so it. I, have, I have heard those stories. But in cases like Kim Kardashian... Um, I haven't heard that. And you are in talks for a reality show yourself. Now we are. Mm-hmm. With, uh, are we allowed to give it? No, anything? no, no. You can't tell the channels. Okay. But yeah, you're in talks for your own reality show. Yeah. What's it going to be about? You running late and me screaming at you? Uh, that and uh, let's see. What, what, what else can we throw in there that wouldn't sound good for a reality show? 
Uh, it's going to be you eating cereal. Me eating cereal like we're supposed to do for the OnlyFans? No. it's uh, So this reality show, it's essentially following you while, while you're moving through the fight game, right? I don't know how we're going to make that interesting. That's beyond my Roman knowledge. One of your people is going to have to figure that one out. I think watching you get punched in the face will be interesting. For 30 minutes? Yeah, I could watch you getting punched in the face for 30 minutes, <laughs> yeah, you but can, I'm mad at you today. You're cool with me getting hit in the head when you're upset with me. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> but no. I think I think one of the stranger things we have going on in Hollywood right now is the shift from standard media to online media. And people seem to be turning away now from TikTok. There seems to be a backlash against TikTok. Yeah. People aren't liking it, which I'm cool with. Does anyone know what the new platform is going to be? If you could just tell me, that would make my job substantially easier. I got to tell you, I'm not a huge fan of TikTok these days either. In fact, I'm actually... You got I've, literally I've got limited, famous on TikTok. I know. I understand that. But I've limited the ways that I come on the platform. And for instance, I don't... I get very trepidations with my live streams now. I don't know what's going to set them off. And in fact, the only times I've had real success is when I just sat right in front of the camera, didn't do anything, and just answered questions. And what's funny about that, it's not your it's not your followers that have trouble, it's TikTok itself keeps banning you. Right, and I couldn't tell at first if it was actually TikTok or if it was maybe another individual who it's would another flag individual, me. It's another individual, yeah. Uh, and then eventually it came out that yes, it is someone else who's attempting to bring down the, the content they don't enjoy. I think something that makes it really difficult on TikTok is it is a, a, a viewer-run platform. Mm. So unlike YouTube and places like that, there's more control, I think, that goes to the audience, which is fantastic, by the way. But in this particular case, it's kind of creating a bit of a backlash. No kidding. And here's, that's the next thing. is It's hard to tell when you run a platform like this. So many different uh, videos, so many different content, so much different people. You have to let the individuals, the users, decide for themselves what is and is not appropriate. There was a period of time where pedophilia was rampant on that platform. Still because is. Uh, still is, actually, still yeah. Is, yeah. Um, but I guess it was the hot topic because there were uh, lots of videos coming out, lots of people actually endorsing it. They had channels where they would endorse pedophilia on TikTok. So they left it to the people to flag it. They would go investigate, say, okay, yeah, this is inappropriate, and pull it down. But it's also left us in a place where... A lot of power is left to the individual user, not now, content creator. Now, here's the truth. If you want to be famous on TikTok, it's really simple. All you have to do is upload a video. You want to keep it between 20 seconds and one minute. You want to make sure you use popular music. You want to use five hashtags, two trending, one relevant, two consistent. And you want to make sure you have some writing on the screen. That's it. I'd love to say it's because people are good at things. You can have the one off. But the reality with all social media, it's an algorithm. So if you do the right thing by the algorithm, which is what I get paid for, I literally get paid to tell people how to get famous online or how to get known. And I'm spectacular at it, by the way. But it's that simple. So take that, guys. If you get a chance, download this, um, download this episode, take that clip and follow that like the Bible. And you can ask Mr. Fuzzy Face here if that works. You can ask me or you can ask my, what is it, nearly Over a million, million oh, followers. Oh, yeah, a million subscri uh, subscribers, followers, whatever they call them these days. Um, but it, it does. Works it works. Not. It works very, very well. Right. So there's no reason you should not be triple monetizing, guys, which means do your job, record yourself doing your job, and then get paid for doing the job, get paid from the recording of yourself on a platform and from sponsorship. That is how you get triple paid for a single job. Just saying, do that. We are going to go to break, guys. I'm very, very excited. We have a very special guest on today. Right. Her name is Jillian Lauren. 
And not only she's an acclaimed author, she is an, a kickboxer. She interviewed uh, one of the most prolific serial killers in the United States. Well, what I'm curious about with Samuel Little, why he spoke to her. I really want to know that. And we can find out. It's true. So we're going to be talking about the Star's hit documentary series, Confronting a Serial Killer. We are going to find out why Samuel Little talked to her. And I'm excited to be on with Gillian Lauren. I'm Summer Helene. We are on with my co-host, the baddest bear in the cage, Bear Fjorda, and we'll be right back after this. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England, along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week, and each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio, live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access all the time. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. You are listening to Behind the Scenes with host Summer Helene. To connect with the show today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to bts at summerhelene.com. Now let's go back behind the scenes. All right. Perfect. G'day, guys. Welcome back to Behind the Scenes. I'm your host, Summer Helene. We are on with my co-host, the baddest bear in the cage, Bear Fjorda, and our very special guest, Jillian Lauren. Jillian, I have to say thank you very, very much for coming on. I did misspeak earlier. I said the show is coming out on Stars. It's on Stars. That's how I saw you was actually watching. I know we called before it came out, so that's where I got it in my head, was watching this. There's a hit documentary series called Confronting a Serial Killer. Now, what I find most interesting about it is Samuel Little, prolific, prolific serial killer. And our guest today actually managed to connect with him. She's interesting in every possible way. <laughs> ...not just a, 
shirt color. Yeah, that one. How did you manage to connect with him? I wrote him a letter. I had interviewed a detective about uh, a mystery novel I was writing, actually. And uh, in order to end on a nice note, I asked her what she was most proud of. She told me her name is Missy Roberts, Detective Missy Roberts of the LAPD, Robbery Homicide Division, great hero of mine. And she said, well, I'm proud of all my cases, but I caught a serial killer once. That was pretty cool. And I said, how did I miss this? You know, it was like our last sip of iced tea. And uh, she said, well, I'm not the one answer, asking the questions. And, uh, and then I went home and looked it up. And uh, I called Missy back, and I said, I'd like to look into this more. And she said, I would love that because I think that there have been many more murders across the country, and I had a hard time mobilizing interest around it due to the marginalized status of Sam's victims and how he picked them. You know, it became hard to sort of mobilize local law enforcement around 30-year-old cold cases, mostly with no DNA, with women who, you know, sometimes there's a family member, sometimes there never was, you know? Um, so I decided I was going to go put some heat on this and I'm a bit of an adrenaline junkie for better or for worse. And it seemed like a real challenge and also really good at, at talking to people. It's one of my strengths as a writer and a journalist. I can kind of talk to anybody. Um, and, uh, and I thought, I'm going to do it. Like, I'm going to tell the story that's going to make people pay attention to this. I had no idea what was coming for me. What was the hardest part of interviewing him? You know, the hardest part was when it wore on. Right. So there was this initial like crazy excitement. There was so much adrenaline and so much fear, so much media attention on the case that, you know, I was working and I I have two beautiful children. So, oh, and well, at that point, we weren't into the pandemic yet, but that played in. Um, And uh, it was the hardest part came when I had to manage the, you know, I mean, 93 murders, you know, he, Sam's confessed to 93, I believe 65, maybe more have been confirmed. And, um, that trying to keep that organized, trying to figure out how to talk cop and talk prostitute and talk killer and talk, get myself into the damn place to begin with. Um, you know, it was a steep learning curve for me and being that close to a psychopath for that long and feeling like there was sort of no way out for me because he needed me around talking and, uh, there was so much information I wanted out of him, but he was, like, eating me alive. Did you feel like the experience was draining on you, as if you were kind of losing your sense of self during some of these interviews? No, not during the interviews. So, yeah, so yes to your question in general, 
uh, but not during the interviews because during the interviews, like, you really click into this space of, I mean, first of all, you're in a, a men's maximum security prison, you know, in one of the most, if not the most, I don't know, correct me, populous states in the country. It's a, you know, it's a mega prison complex. It is really not a whole lot of fun. It's very, very interesting. Um, but, oh, my gosh. What was the question I was asking? <laughs> Prison, what it's was okay. The no, no, scariest part? Right. Or what was it like being around him? What, what was it? It's okay. I, just, I was curious to know if it felt like you were kind of losing your sense of self. He was draining. Oh, losing a sense of self. Right. Right. So, mm, it was more like my sense of self was changing with everything I was learning at such a rapid pace that it caused me a lot of discomfort. So I wouldn't call it draining, right? And it definitely wasn't the interviews with Sam. Oh, I know what I was saying because I had to be so hyper-focused. It's so scary. And you have to be like looking around at all times, aware of everything that's happening, eyes in the back of your head, you know, uh, 17 eyes in the front of your head where that snake was sitting. Um, and you're too scared to be drained. I mean, I was like shaking with adrenaline more, but, um, it wore on me, not in a sense that it drained me, but in a sense that it really challenged, um, a lot of my ideas about myself, about the world around me, about, um, you know, it, it challenged a lot of assumptions. I have to ask, you've written a book about your time in the harem um, with the Prince of right. Brunei. Prince you've, Jeffrey, you've written, right. You've written about adopting, you've written, uh, you talked about adopting with TED Talks, you've written about serial killers yep. or this specific, you, you've done so much as a writer and so broadly and so much uh, to, to reach out to people in 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 uh, in the populace with your books, which book are you most proud of? Well, as you know, that, that's like the question I asked Mitzi. Which one are you most proud of? And I would tell you, I'm proud of them all. But I did meet the serial killer once, um, and that was pretty wild. Um, I, you know, I mean, I love my books. For a million reasons, all of them. Does that sound egotistical? I don't care. I love my books. It's hard to write a book. And I've written a bunch. And, you know, I love my first book because it, like, took every piece of courage inside of me um, to actually get out and believe in it and do it. And I, I like that girl when I think back on her. And I love my second book is dedicated to my first son. And I can read about... And they can read about later, you know, my first date with my husband. And, um, like, that's a gift to my children and to other adoptive parents who may be struggling, too. Because, you know, I tend to um, present everything warts and all. Um, And then, you know, I just couldn't be prouder of Behold the Monster coming out. I mean, like, I just felt the learning curve was so steep. I was like that I climbed Mount Everest every day with that book and that like I I really felt like I was leaving blood on the page 
every day that I wrote. And, like, I think that shows and expecting and, and it's important. And, you know, the thing that I most wanted to accomplish, I, I mean, you're never completely happy. I'm, I'm not one of those authors who takes my book off the shelf and, like, starts, you know, correcting typos. But, um, you know, I do open books years later. Every once in a while, just in my own house and make him do a line change in the margin. Like, that's a terrible sentence. Um, you know, but this is my most sophisticated book as a writer, too. But, you know, I've been writing my whole life, and, and it really all culminated in this, which I do think is my life's work. I can see that. You're a highly acclaimed writer, you're a mother. Mm-hmm. You've done TED Talks. You're married to a rock star. I am. What's yeah. next? You've done everything. <laughs> You've done, like, you are the definition of a woman's yeah. done everything. <laughs> my husband, my rock star husband you mentioned, has, has threatened to put on my headstone, never boring. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, we adjust to anything. We're incredible incredibly adaptable organisms, human beings. So, um, you know, I, I, I think of my life, if I tend to think of my life as like, like one bizarre what after another, <laughs> like every single thing that ever happened to me, you have to say three times to anyone because they don't understand that you're not joking or it's and you know i'm just gonna have to say doesn't feel that way from the inside though you know i feel like yes okay so uh, you know i was the mistress of the brother of the richest man in the world when i was a teenager and yes that sounds wackadoo but like I was also, like, a young girl in love with a rich, powerful guy who's o- older than me in way over my head. Of course, I thought I knew everything. I had one pair of heels. I took one pair of heels with me to Brunei. They were two inches high, and my mother bought them for me to wear to Temple. <laughs> I, I gotta say, if so, I had someone present me with the script of your life, I'd tell them it was unbelievable. <laughs> like we can't make this movie. This is unbelievable. You've that just has done so much. <laughs> it's amazing. So I, met, I met this woman who had a really, you know, everyone, everyone has something, and I can't even tell you. Like mine's easy because mine are both so weird and also. You know, I'm a confessional memoirist. Um, So, you know, I'm taking these things and I'm amplifying them and I'm editing them and I'm presenting them as a narrative. I'm presenting them as craft. I don't, like, publish my journals. You know, so I always think that the best memoir, and Behold the Monster, is in its way a memoir, too, because it was about my journey through that dark world. And that when you're writing a memoir, the way I like to think of it and what I tell my students is, like, you are using yourself. But, like, that's not the end game. Like, you're using yourself to reach for universal themes. So I'm talking about marginalization. I'm talking about, you know, what makes a person worthwhile. What makes them worthwhile of justice at the hands of our criminal justice system? What makes them worthwhile of attention by the media? 
you know, um, as I was like banging a pot, being like, there are so many victims, feeling like I was talking into a black hole. I was talking to a friend of mine who was a detective and a young, beautiful, rich, wonderful, um, white young woman um, disappeared. And there were, and Adia Shabani was her name, and, um, and she was murdered horribly. Um, and the LAPD did an incredible job with the case. And I'm sitting over here saying, like, where are my dive teams? Where are my dive teams for this prostitute, drug addict, woman of color who died in South L.A. 30 years ago? You know, I mean, the answer is, well, there's no ocean there. But um, anyway... There's, do you see there's the, just the, isn't the departmental support? Do you th- do you see the color discrepancy? Do you see a discrepancy with the uh, kind of help that was given to these victims? Well, you know, it changed. It absolutely changed from jurisdiction to jurisdiction all across the country. Like I used to have it at the tip of my tongue how many police departments were involved in this national effort. And it's staggering. Um, And I have talked to members of very progressive police departments who disappointed me. Um, And I have, you know, called the only person on shift in Omaha in the middle of the night, you know, and had one of the most fascinating conversations of the whole book. You know, and learned about their anti-gang initiatives and, you know, like what they're doing in some, of, in some cities that are smaller than L.A. to, you know, go in and intervene in these lives in marginalized, impoverished communities before they're on the other side of the law. So, um, you know, it's like it, I can't tell you that I can make giant generalizations other than, you know... I saw some terrible, infuriating police work, and I saw some truly inspiring police work and and work by prosecutors, defense attorneys, detectives, um, the federal government. You know, this was such a such a joint program. And and one thing I really want to not forget to mention is VICAP, which is a violent criminal apprehension system. And it's a system that the FBI uses to connect crimes behaviorally. So we're looking at serial killing cases or serial rapists who are not picking victims from people they know. Very, very hard historically to to catch, right? So that was Sam. That's how he went undetected all that time. So there is a way that local police can enter into a national database the behavioral, you know, just a write-up on the crime and all the MO. Um, and then, you know, there are data analysts at the FBI, the Behavioral Science Unit, who can start sometimes connecting those dots, especially now that DNA technology has evolved. So, VICAP is a really important part of the story um, that I didn't want to forget to mention. And what else are you fascinated about? What else can I tell you? Well, one of the questions I have to ask is, 
you, I, I know this is going to be kind of a left on the subject. You, you've adopted, mm-hmm. you yourself were adopted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that has had some impact on your ability to empathize and get people to open up with you? Yes. Um, I mean, it really, I think adoption, like any, you know, incredibly impactful milestone in our life, you know, particularly early childhood, um, you know, trauma, separation, any of those things. Um Really, when examined, you know, if you're living life in a conscious way, all of those things, I think, can either shut you down, uh, uh, depending on what kind of, maybe what kind of person you are, or maybe what, you know, sort of, what sort of modeling you've had, Um you know, that it can either shut you down or just, like, open you wide open and teach you that. You know, I struggled with both my kids at different times. I mean, you know, what a blessing. Like, if they're kind I mean, sometimes now I look, I'm like, they're kind of amazing. <laughs> they're pretty fun. <laughs> like, my big one's so funny. He has me rolling, you know, and he was the one I couldn't get to stop biting me and throwing my cell phone into the ceiling fan. I, I, I get that. When I adopted mine, she stopped You know stabbed what I mean? Me. So what I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I don't know what, like, Norman Rockwell picture most people, what age are yours? Um, my my daughter is uh, 14 now. I got her when she was five. Ooh, bless you. And, uh, my son actually was hit by a drunk driver and killed last year. Oh, so, oh my God. I'm um, sorry I didn't know that, and I'm just sorry. Uh, yes, it's, it's I'm I'm one sorry. of those things. As soon as I say it, it just brings the conversation to a halt because it's like, well, that was You know, fun. it does. It doesn't uh, with sorry. me. <laughs> it doesn't with me. I can, I really, you know, okay, so here you go. Um, like you're saying, does it help you have empathy? Well, yes, you know, adoption plays a part of that, certainly, and um, but also, like, uh, the interviewing and the way, you know, the, everyone makes a big deal of my interviews with Sam, and I'm some serial killer whisperer, some, like, I'm, I'm sure I'd be burned at a witch, as a witch in some other time, you know, like, <laughs> somehow I get people to say shit. I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, really just about like giving it some time. I think that why I do the long form work that I do is that I'm willing to sit with people for a while and I'm willing to sit with their anger and I'm willing to sit with their pain, you know, and they don't like, I think that people really know that they don't have to apologize for crying like, it men, pipe fitters in Texas have cried in my arms about their mothers. And I think people just get it that I'm kind of like, I don't know. I, I really can make a million assumptions about you, but I don't know. Let me listen for a little while. You know? Well, that would help you with interviewing. How do you develop that level of empathy? How do you connect with people on that level? Uh, 
you know, well, my father always said I could sell sand in the Sahara. <laughs> but how I connect with people on the level, first of all, like I have some very specific things I do that I think, you know, I heard you were talking about various social media platforms and, and on days that I have very important interviews, I look at nothing. Like, I look at nothing other than my notes. Um, most of them are handwritten. Like, I'm not looking at a screen when I'm driving to the prison. And it's sort of the most present I get. I'm as distracted as any of us. I'm texting at a red light and texting while I'm cooking dinner and Love, you know, I'm as distracted as anyone else, but in these situations that feel so crucial and so fragile to me, and also it's a tremendous amount of responsibility, you know, to have to go to somebody and ask, like I've been through, you know, Denise, Denise Brothers, uh, uh, Denise Christie Brothers, a uh, victim of Sam's from Odessa, Texas, I, you know, I sat in her son's house with his wife and she was like, I have a box of her clothing in the attic. And we went through her old clothing. And it was like, I mean, you know, half of you is just like, you know what? I think what my father said about law school is right. I am out of here. <laughs> um, but I also think I sort of have a unique talent for it. You know, I don't, I don't pathologize sadness. I don't, I mean, I do pathologize violence, but, um, but I'll sit with that too. I think ultimately it's curiosity. You know, empathy and curiosity that's are not that journalist. far apart. Yeah, that's fair. That's what makes a good journalist. That's what makes you such a good journalist. I agree. Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking as you guys are going through your questions and back and forth, and I come up with this thought. If you believe in it, there's a universe out there where you did none of this. You work at McDonald's, there's nothing going on, and you may even live right, alone. Like, sir, so what if I made had you it, in another fork in the road or something? What yes. me would what? Right. Right. So what, what, what made doing? you choose this path? What made you choose the path you're on? For everyone out there that wants that adventure, <laughs> that wants to be you. What made you choose this road? I'm sorry, Help let, us me, live vicariously let me go through. back. Um you know, I mean, I think every choice builds from last. Yeah. So I can't say that, you know, I, lo I know everyone loves this because it provides a great sense of, you know, sort of yumminess, end of the story, satisfaction. But, you know, it, it, my work with Sam was a culmination of my life's work. You know, I know I've been learning to talk to people my whole life. And... Um, also, my father's kind of psycho. <laughs> so I felt like I, I had the uh, Marine training for it. Um, but, you know, it's not like there was a lightning bolt that came from the clouds that I, where I was like, I'm going to go talk to this serial killer. I mean, what I saw, quite frankly, you know, was a story that both fit my, my political, um, you know, message for lack of a better word, and also was was intriguing. You know, I didn't go out looking for it; it came to me. I can see that. That makes sense. One of the one of the things that uh, concerned, I think, a lot of people, and I've got had a lot of people writing in about, was how you balance. Um, 
your life and what you're hearing from this serial killer, how did you get him out of your head mm. when you were done with the interview? I mean, you can't, you can't scrub that out. You can't wash that out. Well, when you say concerned, I mean, in what way? Like, concerned about my uh, mental health, concerned about my children? Like, no, 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 are, no, no. What, what are they concerned about? Are they just curious as to what curious, it's like? Curious would be a better word. Okay, I had okay. multiple write-ins. Everyone writes in on Twitter. But right. they were concerned, like, how, oh, right. how do you get it out of your head? But how how did, did you I... get away? Yeah, how did you survive it, getting that in your head? I'm a survivor. Um... You know, so, I mean, like anything, there's sort of multiple motivations and, and multiple causes. Um, you know, did I think this could be a big, sexy story that would, you know, get me a book deal? Yeah, absolutely. You know, <laughs> but once again, I, I, I thought that at the very beginning. I, I didn't really have time for that kind of thought for a while. Um, so there was that. There was the fact that, you know, it, it it's such a close issue to my heart um, in terms of, you know, who has a voice, you know, and, and, and like I was saying, who, how do we determine the worst of a human being? Um, because clearly both in the law enforcement community and in the press and in you know, and I always say he was a uh, failure to indict by a grand jury for the fact that he has a six-page rap sheet for everything from petty theft to assault. But um, there were three murder trials in which he was either acquitted, grand jury failed to indict, and in the third, there were two living victims or victims that had been accidentally left alive who testified. Well, one of them did. A strong, strong testimony. He got 18 months for kidnapping. He raped her, strangled her, and left her for dead by the side of the road. And, uh, you know, and she was... A Fairly well-to-do white lady, so she got a little bit of play, a little bit of voice. Um, but at, in the end, 18 months he did. And you know what he did the night he got out? He drove to Los Angeles and killed two women in one night. Good God. After serving 18 months for attempted murder of two women. Good God. After, yes. after having been acquitted twice. Guess he felt he had to make in, up In Florida. He's just like, fuck it. He's he, he being in a courtroom son. With this story, this will be attached to your legacy forever. Um, yep. You did an incredible job getting him to talk. Thank you. you Thank you. also are a TED fellow and have spoken yes. about adoption. You're an acclaimed mm -hmm. author. All of these these moments in your life are, are what you'll be remembered for. Which one? Oh, if well, you had thanks. To now you're making my day, Summer. <laughs> if you had to choose one, what do you see as your legacy here? You know, I think I think my legacy. Um, is as a creative, is as a documentarian, you know, is a, as somebody who looked 
looks at the world around me um, with a very sharp and conscious eye. And, you know, uh, really, my writing is my way to make sense of it. It's my way to I make a living. Um, and it's, it's my attempt to understand. And, you know, I feel like that's a much broader conversation with artists now in all different mediums with artists throughout history, you know, that, you know, we're the storytellers. So, you know, that's my legacy. I don't, I don't, it's not case specific. You know, I'm moving on now. I'm working on a, a, a vice case. Well, that's all you get to know now, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm working on incredible vice. Uh, sex trafficking sting. And so it's not like I, you know, I'm in the serial killer game. Um, but I am interested in deviant psychology. Fascinates me. Um, I, and I'm interested in crime. And, and uh, you know, I have a very analytical mind. And I'm good at sort of slogging, doing the slog that no one imagines is really what the work is of detective work. And, um, you know, it's been a privilege to be a part of the web sleuthing community. They're just an amazing and passionate bunch. Um, and so, you know, I think I'll, I think I'll hang out here in this community, but I can't say that, you know, my legacy is one book or another or one case or another or one, issue or another because you know it's they're really about uh, i'm a memoirist i I don't write reportage you know they're about like personal journey what advice would you have for young girls that want to be like you that want to be able to do all? oh god what what (laughs) (laughs) i would say don't Oh my gosh! What young girls want to be like me? Okay, I'm sorry. Finish your question. According according to the internet, a lot of them that are currently writing in, so lots of them oh want to my. be. Like, lots of them want to do it. Lots of them want to be writers. Lots of them want to make that impact. Oh well, the right the writing part is good. The impact part is good. I would suggest, like you know, maybe shaving a few moments off those first twenty years there. <laughs> But, no, you know, what I would say is this. If they've got another option, take it. Like, I, I talked, you know, I, I teach retreats, and um, and I love my students, and I talk to them all the time. But the, at the end of the day, what you do, the product is one thing, but you're making a choice to have a discipline and to, ha- you know, you got to want to sit down for four hours alone and stare at a wall. Um, and so, you know, my advice would be like, connect with that discipline and know that you're strong enough. Cause if I have one more question, one more conversation for the 80 billionth time with the same person and say, I can tell you how to write a book right now. I can tell all those little girls who want to be like me, A, don't, and B, I'll tell you how to write a book. You sit down and write every day. I can't tell you it's going to be a good book. That's up to you. But that's how you write a book. That is the worst answer. Everyone's just like, no, surely there's some other way. <laughs> um, you know, but so I have them not to get caught up in the idea of the product, but really find their, you know, find their interior world. 
you know, and find it in books if you want to write books. And, you know, and find it in movies if you want to write movies. And also study all these other genres. But, you know, you can't write and not read. You can't, like, find where you're sort of finding your voice and where you land. And also, I really hate to tell everyone this. This is another one everyone's just like, what? Are the margaritas ready? Um, is that not every word you write is going to be Pearl? Like, I write nine drafts of books, and the first one always sucks. So, like, be brave enough to suck, I guess, would be my first piece of advice. Be brave enough to suck, and then begin. Start where you are. I like that. That's really good advice. That's actually Thank a great you. way to lead in. A great way to lead into my next question, which is kind of a bit of a curveball. Uh, you called yourself a lousy kickboxer, but anyone of course you're interested but, in a fighter. But anyone, he's an MMA fighter. He's like, of course he's interested. Who was willing to throw themselves at the wall as many times as you have could not have possibly been a lousy kickboxer. But either way, uh, what made you want to punch and kick people in the head repeatedly? really high bar. I had a great little gym at the time. We're still working on getting it back together now with the, uh, you know, reopening stuff. It's hard, you know, it's hard if boxing is your passion to, you know, be managing COVID because, you know, it's like the least COVID friendly (laughs) indoor bleed on each other's sport. But, you know, well, first of all, uh, my dad bet on the fight. And loved the fights. <laughs> and I loved my dad, even if he was a psycho, as previously mentioned. So I learned so much about the fights. As a kid, just sitting next to my dad watching cable. And then, you know, Sam was a boxer. So one of the ways I created rapport with him, and there were different things we talked about. We talked about Casablanca. You know what I mean? I thought he was a very Bogart-esque character. It's insane. Um. But, you know, one of the things we talked about was boxing, and uh, I was having some post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms. You know, I I mean, I'm listening to the last minutes of these women's lives month after month after month, and, uh, you know, and and I was sick of talk therapy. I didn't feel like it was effectual for this. I I went and saw a cop therapist. For a while, because like you go sit down in some Beverly Hills therapist office, who you know hears everyone's marriage problems all day long, and they're like, "Hi, I'm really struggling with the fact that I talk to a serial killer every day." It's just like not fun. <laughs> I think there might be a little bit above their pay grade. So, <laughs> well, it's not even like pay grade, but um, you know what I started doing was boxing. Instead, I was like, you know, I'm going to work this trauma out through my body. And, of course, I just, like, wanted to wail on a great big man, which I got to do, too, plenty of times. But, you know, what I, what I did was I fell in love with the craft, of course. And um, the craft and, and truly art. And, uh, and then the whole family was doing it. And so it became a, a way to connect for us. Um, and I love fighting. So, you know... I mean, I did it a little bit to, you know, because I write in some parts from Sam's perspective. You know, I like to feel fighting from the inside. Um, but I didn't, that's not why I kept doing it. 
I would have done it twice and just made the rest up. <laughs> that makes sense. Well, we are yeah. to the end of the so, show. But Can I you don't tell think everyone- it's like some big therapy thing, the boxing. It's more like a really uh, conscious way to engage my body and like move some of that anxiety through. That's, I think it's a good thing. And I love kickboxing. I'm with that. Love it. Um, we're to the end of the show. Where can everyone find you on social media? Because I want everyone to come follow you. You are so interesting. And you Please are such... Thank you. Thank you so much. And um, it would be a privilege. Please check out my work. You can go to my website. My website has links to uh, my moth stories, you know, because I do live storytelling as well, uh, some of my interviews, um, many of my published pieces, you know, uh, my books aren't the only thing I've written, I have a lot of personal essay, um, and uh, all that's on my website, so you can find a link to pretty much everything there, and uh, I'm at Jilly, J-I-L-L-Y, Lauren at Twitter, um, and then Instagram and Facebook, I'm Jillian Lauren, and I would love to hear from everybody. And I just, you know, I thank you for listening to me and, and for, for taking the time that historically people did not take. And a lot of these women wound up dead because of it. So thank you for listening. Guys, check her out. I'm going to put up some links to her books. Buy her books. She's an incredible, I'm, I'm talking about you like you're not here. I'm sorry, but I love you. You're an, she's an incredible writer. Buy her books. Please talk, please talk about <laughs> me in a third person. <laughs> like, buy her books. She's incredible. I'm going to put up some links. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. I know we had a lot of people who were really, really interested when uh, the Stars documentary came out that we were talking about you. We've discussed you many times on this show. So thank you so much for coming on. I know it was a treat for the audience and it was a treat for me. If there are any really, really pressing questions, you can always call me with them, um, and I'm always reachable through my website. If you have any tips about the Sam Little case, you can go on the FBI's website, fbi.gov, um, or you can contact me through my website. I say contact her. Guys, thank you for joining us. I'm Summer <laughs> Helene. This was Behind the Scenes. Thank you very much to my co-host, Bear Fiorda, the baddest bear in the cage and one of my favorite MMA fighters, even though I'm mad at him right now because he hit me with a microphone. And our very, very special <laughs> guest, Jillian Lauren. Check her out. I'm going to put up some links to some of her interviews, some of her shows, and her books. I expect you guys to show her appreciation for coming here and go buy her books. We'll see you next week. Good night. Thanks for checking out the show. Behind the scenes can be heard live on the Voice America Variety Channel every Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific. Be sure to join Summer Helene for more Scoop next week.